the grid. A digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. This is a difficult topic to tackle, and I'm so glad that I'm not doing it alone. I want to welcome back co-host, Sean Griffin. How are you doing today, Sean? Thank you, Chris. Doing really, really well. Just a quick recap from last week. If you remember, we listened to a couple of audio clips, one from Wretched Radio. It is everything from the people in the KKK, white supremacists, all the way to, you know, it was kind of nice when we said a Pledge of Allegiance and, and, and sang America the Beautiful. Congratulations. If you are anywhere in that spectrum, you're a Christian nationalist. And we also listened to a brief clip of Christians Against Christian Nationalism. I'm a Christian against Christian nationalism. I'm a Christian against Christian nationalism. I'm a Christian against Christian nationalism. Really what we were getting at last week was to talk about how Christian nationalism is being viewed, although we didn't get a whole lot into the definition. We will do that more today on The Grid. There's an article in Christianity Today that was written in February of 2021, and just to sort of preface the context, I noticed a lot of the research around Christian nationalism, uh, or a lot of people were commenting on it within weeks or a few months of what happened on January 6th, because I think so many people were afraid of the fallout, and they attempted to define what happened on January 6th with the term Christian nationalism, when in reality, it may not have applied to the vast majority of people. But when we get back, let's jump into that conversation from the article in Christianity Today. Sounds good. We'll be right back. Welcome to this week's News and Review. Recently, two states passed legislation to, quote, prevent transgender females from taking part in female sports. Unfortunately, in both these states, both with Republican governors, this legislation was vetoed. But in Utah specifically, State Representative Kira Berkland, the bill's Republican sponsor, said the bill is purely about preserving women's sports and warned, if we don't act and we just go with the status quo, we do more to harm both transgender youth and women athletes. Well, here's what's different. In Utah, the GOP-controlled legislature just overrode the governor's veto with a supermajority. The House voted 56 to 18, and the Senate voted 21 to 8 to override Governor Cox's vetoes. These moves come in the wake of the controversy of swimmer Leah Thomas, a male who is a transgender, who rewrote the record books recently by destroying the competition in the Women's NCAA Swimming Championships. In other news, the unvaccinated, there's always a story about the unvaccinated, Quietly, the Supreme Court has temporarily granted the Pentagon's request to limit the deployment of unvaccinated active U.S. military members who refused to get the COVID-19 uh, COVID vaccine based on religious grounds. This lawsuit was brought by 35 unvaccinated Navy SEALs. It seems this administration just picks their battles everywhere. Justice Alito, in particular, vehemently disagreed and believed this was a violation of religious liberty, yet Justice Kavanaugh sees that the president has almost a limited authority in how he runs the military. This temporary stay only applies to the case while it's making its way through the lower courts, but I'm sure there'll be more controversy regarding this. 
Okay, speaking of the Supreme Court, oh my. Welcome to the hot seat, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Bill Maher says, I quote, Today's GOP would be thrilled to have no black justices on the Supreme Court. (laughs) Wow, really? I guess he didn't realize that Justice Thomas is one of a conservative's most favorite justice. And oh, by the way, he happens to be black. These confirmation hearings have been a lightning rod. But first, I do want to say this. In regards to Katanji Brown-Jackson, she is very composed, very likable, seems to be a very nice human being, and it cannot be easy to sitting through the confirmation hearing where you know that people are asking you questions to see if you will trip up. That doesn't mean that I agree with her judicial philosophy, and that, folks, is the heart of this discussion. Justice Kavanaugh was accused of being a gang rapist who drugged his victims and absolutely had no basis in fact. It absolutely had nothing to do with his judicial philosophy. But boy, we've got to ask these important questions. But if you ask Katanji Brown-Jackson questions that refer to her being soft on criminal sentencing, her belief in critical race theory, or even rejecting laws that clearly speak to congressional intent, whoa, now you're a racist. That kind of stuff drives me nuts. She is a judicial activist through and through. Judicial activist in that she creates law from the bench. Let's just listen to a couple of clips that speak to some of her philosophy. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. Are you serious? You can't provide a definition of a woman? Come on, man. You've got to be serious. I can tell you exactly what this means. If the judge was to say biologically that we can define a woman and know what her to be, she in essence is turning her back on the entire community that believes that ever gender ideation beyond male and female is absolutely accepted and is completely determined by the individual with no basis in science. Okay, well, what about this statement from Ted Cruz during her confirmation hearing? Either assigned or recommended, uh, they include critical race theory and introduction. Uh, They include the end of policing and an advocacy for abolishing police. They include How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. So for context, Katanji Brown-Jackson is actually a board member of the Georgetown Day School, in which she had earlier stated she didn't believe critical race theory was being taught and that the board did not control curriculum. So Ted Cruz is responding to that. This is incredibly important. It's really important towards judicial philosophy, because if you believe that the entire legal system is inherently racist, then an activist takes it upon themselves to write what they see as wrong, and thus that's how you become an activist judge. So, okay, I get it. She's a board member, and maybe she is not paying that close attention, and she wasn't aware that critical race theory was being taught. Let's take that a step further. Judge Jackson actually praised the late Derrick Bell. Who is that? Do you remember our conversation about Derrick Bell back weeks ago when we did a podcast on critical race theory? Derrick Bell is better known as the godfather of critical race theory. In fact, Judge Jackson claimed that she has drawn heavily from leading CRT advocate Janet Bell, which is Derek Bell's wife. Bet you didn't hear that on CNN. Contact your senator today. Oppose the confirmation of this Judge Jackson. She's a nice person, but she's also a political activist from the bench. For this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. All right, welcome back. Let's dive into this Christianity Today article, as now we, you've seen where we've talked a little bit about how people are being labeled 
and even the divisiveness around Christian nationalism. But now let's we're going to switch gears and we're going to dive in to try to define it for you. That's why we're diving into this Christianity Today article. All right, so they have the subtitle, What is Patriotism and Is It Good? Patriotism is the love of country. It is different from nationalism, which is an argument about how to define a country. Christians should recognize that patriotism is good because all of God's creation is good, and patriotism helps us appreciate our particular place in it. Our affection and loyalty to a specific part of God's creation helps us to do the good work of cultivating and improving the part we happen to live in. As Christians, we can and should love the United States, which also means working to improve our country by holding it up for critique and working for justice when it airs. Wow. As you read that, I mean, it really, that paragraph is honing on on patriotism. Sean, what's wrong with that? I read that and I go, yep. That's exactly how I feel. I couldn't have written it better myself. You know, we started this podcast today talking about how we love our country. As we may talk a little bit later, I wonder if Christian nationalism is the wrong phrase for the majority of Americans who love their country, that really they just have patriotism. I guess I can put that on the shelf, but I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe the label is misapplied. Yeah, it could very well be. I think I agree. So let's keep going. What is nationalism? Um, The article continues. Most scholars agree that nationalism starts with the belief that humanity is divisible into mutually distinct, internally coherent culture groups defined by shared traits like language, religion, ethnicity, or culture. And I'm sorry, Sean, I didn't know that we were going to read this article and step right back into sociology class. (laughs) For sure. It's like, it's a good thing you said that rather slowly. That's quite a list. Well, it is quite a list. It's interesting when you hear the words that Christian nationalists are Nazis. That's one that's being thrown around. Yet the actual definition means it really is just a way to divide people. But Sean, when you think about your love for country, are you looking to divide people? No, I'm not. Not at all. In fact, you know, if we all, as we get closer, like for instance, in marriage, there's a, what is often referred to as a triangle as the, as the husband and wife get closer to God, lo and behold, they get closer to each other because they're going toward one central point. And as they get closer to him, the distance between themselves, you know, gets smaller, you know, when it comes to the love of country, all we've got to do is see political rallies regardless of who they're for, these people come together. They don't agree about everything, but they've chosen the things that they have in common to come together and celebrate and promote. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, scripture commands us to do everything that we can to live in unity. And sometimes I think Christians get labeled with this device of nature because we want to, as the first paragraph said, is to work for justice when we see errors justice for the unborn, justice for Christians who want to worship freely without the government impeding on the ability to do so. Yes. So let's just keep going. What is Christian nationalism then? So we talked a little bit about patriotism. We've talked a little bit about nationalism, but then Christianity Today defines when you put those together, that Christian nationalism is the belief that American nation is defined by Christianity. 
and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Now, popularly, Christian nationalists assert that America is and must remain a Christian nation, not merely as an observation about American history, but as a prescriptive program for what America must continue to be in the future. Scholars like Samuel Huntington have made a similar statement, that America is defined by its Anglo-Protestant past, and that what we will lose our identity and our freedom if we do not preserve our cultural inheritance. When you read that, does that invoke an emotional response? Do you disagree with, those, with, with that, that description? With that sentence, I'm in total agreement because it's true. Our country was founded by believers. It was founded by believers, bottom line. Imperfect believers. I think it's important to say that because sometimes people think that we hold up at the founding fathers as being saints, and they were believers who were flawed, just like you and just like me. And that is why they established uh, three branches of government, because they know they were painfully aware of the sinful nature of man, especially the unredeemed man. I think that is a great point. Because all of that power residing with one person, oh my goodness, if the guy is righteous or the woman is righteous, things are, you know, can be mostly okay but we they had seen time and time again all that centralized power just went to their head and they broke it up because they know and they understood the sinful nature of man and what power can do to somebody when they have uh, that kind of power behind their choices john you want to go ahead and take the next paragraph so we're going to cover what is the problem with nationalism Humanity is not easily divisible into mutually distinct cultural units. Cultures overlap and their borders are fuzzy. Since cultural units are fuzzy, they make a poor fit for the foundation for political order. Cultural identities are fluid and hard to draw boundaries around, but political boundaries are hard and semi-permanent. Attempting to found political legitimacy on cultural likeness means political order will be constantly in danger of being felt as illegitimate by some group or another. Cultural pluralism is essentially inevitable in every nation. So as you read that, again, now we're into sociology class 102. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I disagree with the definition, but I think I disagree with the application. As I read this, I think it's making the assumption that the political establishment in a particular country is completely agnostic and everything around that should be preserved as so. And when you try to label people or I guess group people, draw boundaries around culture, which I guess it's, this, is, this article is labeling Christianity as a culture, that it puts up ultimately conflict between that government, which tends to be a permanent establishment, and the culture, which tends to be fluid. Where I disagree with where it appears this application is going is that our country was not founded as, a, as agnostic. It was not founded as a country that was void and separated from faith principles. Do you, do you agree with my, my thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think basically I would. What they're pointing out here is the jello nailing jello to the wall. Their observation 
is that, you know, it's hard to draw boundaries around certain things that are fluid. Yeah. So in essence, I would. Yeah. So this article continues, uh, it continues to talk about, you know, what is the problem? But I, and rather than focus kind of what the article said, I'm going to tell you what I, I think is, is, is one of the challenges in this. And it's not, it, there's two dangers here and they're both on ends of the spectrum. The one danger is, is that we say we can't, that because there is this potential divide between government, which is semi-permanent and culture, which is fluid, that to espouse the views of how we believe that the Lord founded this country, that, that one of those dangers is, is that I must be silent and not share that. Otherwise, I am labeled as divisive. I'm labeled as a person who is trying to silence or uh, divide or castigate a particular group of people. And I actually think that that is where the Christian nationalist label goes to. I think that's what it's trying to say. This is what you're doing. The means at which you try to express your opinion is you're trying to alienate people. You're trying to shove, a pe shove people aside who don't agree with you. And I think that's an unfair label. On the other hand, I think, I think one of the real dangers of Christian nationalism, at least as the label applies, is on the one hand, you have people that are trying to achieve their ends by means that are so clearly not biblical, it's not even funny. And I would question in some of those instances, do those people really think that they're, they're following God? The ones who are resorting to violence, the ones who are using scripture to justify a political ideology, those really concern me. That is a big danger, uh, at least at how this is applied. That's a big danger of Christian nationalism. But I see another danger that's also not talked about, Sean. And I see the danger that we're so afraid of being labeled like that, that through fear, we gravitate to silence and that we're yes. not willing to try to improve our country. Yes. And I don't know that that I don't know that that danger is talked about as much. Only, only the one on the one extreme is. But I I think there's two dangers here on each end of the spectrum that we have to be incredibly wary of. Well, I think that second danger is actually more ominous because it's so common and it's not seen. It's hard to see an argument or hear an argument when it's not expressed, and that's what we have happening you know, every day. It's like we did a podcast back toward the beginning. We talked about the difference between liberals and conservatives. Well, conservatives understand where liberals, liberals are coming from because they hear the liberal message day in and day out, whereas a lot of liberals do not necessarily know what, what uh, conservatives are thinking because their point of view is not equally represented in the media. Summarizing, conservatives fully understand where the liberals are coming from because they hear the liberal message every day. Most liberals do not know where conservatives are coming from because they don't adhere or listen to or go to the sources where those voices are shared. Yeah, I think that's a great point, unless you go into alternative media. And for anyone who's listening right now that is a liberal, I and a progressive, and you disagree with some of this, and you really are angry with Christian nationalists, I just want to stop for a second and just share my heart. When Sean and I and the Kingdom Patriot Group and people that we're, that we're trying to reach who are of like mind, like faith, yeah, of course we want to change tax policy, and we don't like big government and all of those things, but those have nothing to do 
with our faith per se. I, I want you to hear that we're we're not using Christianity to justify differences in approach of of policy and laws and so forth. So we can talk about tax policy. We can talk about limited government, expansive government. We can talk about those all all day long and have a friendly debate. I have no interest in trying to use scripture to justify my approach, except for those things that I see and understand to be unbiblical. My heart is to see everyone come to know Christ. My heart is to see leaders of integrity in our government, leaders that tell you the truth, leaders that value life, leaders that value seeing people restored and seeing people grow in their own faith. I just want to tell you, if you're listening, that to me, the means matter. We love you, and we don't want to alienate anyone. We just want to share the good news and how the Lord has changed our life. And we know that politics is an arena that we should be allowed to do that, that that should not be an area that has to be shut off and cut off from that conversation where we can share good news. So I just want to take a moment to share my heart in that area. And I'd like to add to that, you know, our nation was founded by believers. And as long as, as long as we have godly influence in government, then we're going to be able to sustain this experiment that is a blessing to people who believe and follow Jesus, just as much as it is uh, for folks who are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. This country is a blessing to anybody who lives here. We are all benefiting from the fruit of what this country has become, regardless of what you actually believe in. And the evidence is the simple fact that we have a lot of people trying to illegally get into this country. If it was as bad as some of the people in the media say it is, people would not be trying to get into it illegally. Yeah. Totally agree with you. There are several other items in this article, and we want to move on, but this article will be posted in the show notes so that you can go get that. I think it's important to read the article. You may not agree with the whole thing, but yet I do think that Christianity Today made an honest attempt to define nationalism, to define Christian nationalism in more of a neutral point of view, and then explain the good and the bad of patriotism and the inherent dangers that may exist with a certain line of thinking. So what I would like to do now is that was Christianity Today. So that was a magazine of believers who are tackling, in essence, a label that actually applies to them or could apply to them because Christian nationalism is applying to Christians. But I'm going to take a moment and we're actually going to go to, okay, what would a secular definition look like? And I'm not saying it's the source of all truth, but one thing we know when you Google something, one of the first places you click is going to be Wikipedia. So I'm going to jump into that article and read some of those definitions of Christian nationalism. Like Chris said, we'll discuss Wikipedia's take on Christian nationalism right after this. Phenomenal Christianity is a book, a belief, and an experience written by Sean Griffin. It chronicles a lifestyle of power that transformed lives by revealing the love of God and the ways of his kingdom. Jesus promised us just that in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. As a Christian, can you imagine living every day with that kind of supernatural power? Phenomenal Christianity is a book of stories, 
Stories where through prayer, Sean was able to see God move in tangible ways so that others might experience healing and the love of Christ. Sean has an evangelist heart as he desires to see the church move in the supernatural. Sean is also a patriot whose love for country is only exceeded by his love for Christ. I've known Sean for years, and I can assure you, you are in good company. Check out his book, Phenomenal Christianity, on Amazon or visit his YouTube channel, Phenomenal Christianity. That's Phenomenal Christianity, the book or the YouTube channel. Be sure to drop Sean a note and let him know that you are a Kingdom Patriot. In order to expand our audience to like-minded believers and patriots, you have to tell them about us. How do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. Right now, in this moment, hit that follow button on your podcast and give us a five-star rating. Tell your friends and your neighbors about this community. Share any episode on your social media. If you feel compelled to share that photo of little Johnny who fell in a puddle, then surely sharing an episode of The Grid is just as easy. Help us today. Tell others about the Kingdom Patriot Group and this podcast, The Grid. Welcome back. All right. So I'm quoting directly from Wikipedia. This will also be posted uh, in the show notes. Christian nationalists primarily focus on internal politics, such as passing laws that reflect their view of Christianity and its role in political and social life. In countries with a state church, Christian nationalists, in seeking to preserve the status of a Christian state, uphold an anti-de-establishmentarian position. Christian nationalists have emphasized a recovery of territory in which Christianity formerly flourished, historically to establish a pan-Christian state out of the countries within Christendom. How do you react to that, Sean? <laughs> That's a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, we keep getting these. You know, what's really interesting, I, I'm going to totally digress here for a second, but what's really interesting does this not remind you a little bit of critical race theory or wokeness or some of these other cultural labels? It's people get so passionate about them, but at the end of the day, it is so difficult to actually bring clarity on what the definition really is. Right. It really is. To me, this is written by somebody who is not a believer and they're just lumping everything into one big blob. So, well, let me continue with it. It says, uh, these people actively promote religious discourse in various fields of social life, politics, history, culture, science, with respect to legislation, for example, Christian nationalists advocate blue laws. Okay, in one sense, I actually don't disagree with that in the sense of I would support a law that says that we should go ahead and celebrate Sabbath. I, I think that's a biblical principle that we should all have a day of rest. Right. But that's not because right. I'm promoting some sort of nationalism. I just think it's a wise principle. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the Sabbath was created for rest. Anybody who practices a Sabbath, regardless of what day it is, when they take a day off to rest, it helps them with their work. So this article continues, Christian nationals support the presence of Christian symbols and statuary in the public square, as well as state patronage for the display of religion, such as school prayer and the exhibition of nat nativity scenes during Christmas tide or the Christian cross on Good Friday. And even one they don't listen, I think of, for instance, Moses and the Ten Commandments outside a courthouse. Right. Do you have a problem with that? I don't personally. I understand that atheists do, but atheists often forget how the country was founded. I agree. Our country was founded on Christian principles. It's not just part of our faith heritage. It's actually part of our, our government heritage, our country's heritage. 
it has historical yes. benefits as well as faith benefits. And to unintentionally butt in, that freedom that we have, they also get to exercise. It's our beliefs and our trust in the Savior that allows them the freedom to not believe. I love that. The reason I love that is because what has happened over the years, I remember we did that podcast on humanism where humanism has really invaded every aspect of our government. And I hear people talking about freedom of religion, freedom from religion, but actually our country has not separated church and state. And what I mean by that is the state is separated from Christianity. It was what this country was founded on those principles. But our government actually has endorsed the religion of humanism. And that in itself is a religion. Yes. But it's a religion that puts all the focus on man and not the focus on God, not the focus on Christ. Again, as we as we talked before, their motto, their logo says good without God. And so I think what's happened and, and in this discourse, a lot of people don't realize that in the attempt to separate church and state, liberal progressive non-believers have actually done the very thing that they have accused everyone else of doing. And that is they have endorsed a very specific religion. It just doesn't include God. It's the religion of humanism. Right. And I think one of the reasons why they don't recognize it as a religion is because they don't pass the plate. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Next week on The Grid. We're going to dive into one more clip by a lady named Allie Beth Stuckey, who in a three-minute span really encapsulates this discussion. We'll pick up part three, the third installment of our series, Christian Nationalism, on the next edition of The Grid. See you next time. Special thanks again to our sponsor, Phenomenal Christianity. Go to Amazon to purchase your book today or visit the YouTube channel, Phenomenal Christianity. Don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. I'm Chris Kuhlman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot. (music) 